Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Well, hello and welcome back to WebRush. We are here recording on a day that's not far away from Halloween in the United States. And so here we're going to talk about our fears and things that might get to us. Ward, I know that you're not afraid of the boogeyman, but when it comes to thinking about anything, anything at all in software development, where do your fears lie? Well, I'm just terrified of my own shadow, as you know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I'm hoping at, at, at some point uh, that we'll get to uh, API design. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning, and I realized that, um, you know, you can't go as many years in this game as I have without having designed an API. I mean, that's pretty much what you do every time you design a class or write a function or anything like that. And, and um, you know, uh, I don't know how I do it. I, I look at them. And, and I likened it earlier to cooking. Like I know how to throw things into a pot and, and I know when it tastes terrible and I know when it seems to taste pretty good, but I don't, I don't really feel like I have much in the way of principles, although I'm sure I could articulate something if I dug around in my, uh, my process and said, well, you know, I know these two things go together. And when I see that, that's not going to turn out well, but anyway, I'm hoping that we get there uh today with our guest uh but i have a feeling we're going to get there sort of uh you know like a billiard shot off a rail um by uh talking about open source but we'll get there well let's bring in our fearless guide aviatar loosh is a front-end engineer at meta he's a strong advocate for open source software and is the author of several high profile projects including vest validation framework and the emotion picker react aviatar is passionate about API design, developer ergonomics, and building tools for developers. Avitar, welcome back to the show. Hey, hey, happy to be back. Um, yeah, how are you guys? Good. We're we're certainly glad to to have you here with us. Yes, indeed. Likewise. How many times have you been on the show now? Is it that's the fourth time? I think last time was last December. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So I mean, you're basically a a, a resident guest or almost a. a you know, a host as it is. So, you know, in the Saturday Night Live days, when you join the the, the Five Club, you get like a a jacket and an yeah. extra thing to the intro. And so, I, I wish I had planned ahead a little more, and we would have had something <laughs> embroidered for you. So, I'm awaiting my swag drop. Okay, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, keep keep waiting. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, I think I've been unlucky enough to have been out of town for some of those. Um, the last one, the one that I remember best uh, was when we were talking about your vest validation um, project. And I remember, you know, going in with a yawn uh, and suddenly realizing, wait a minute, that's just what I need uh, for a talk I was about to give at ng-conf. Uh, and I was trying to explain how Angular developers could tie their framework into um, they should have a model validation engine and 
you know, we had written one ad hoc for our various projects. And uh, I was in terror that I would have to present this thing because talk about API design, it sucked. Uh, it worked great, but it was just miserable to use. And then some, you know, here we are with this guy, I don't know. And he starts talking about this um, this project, this guy called Vest. And and my suddenly I woke up. Because, and, and partly it was because it had, oh, one of the ingredients, I think, for a great API design, which is a great metaphor. Holy smokes, we just found a principle <laughs> for API design. You have to, you have, to have some kind of uh, design intuition that everybody goes, that's it. Or I get it without even knowing what it is yet. They just get it. I mean, uh, uh, it's really rare to aspire to, a, a, you know, you could aspire to that, but it's really rare to hit something like that. But that struck me. And I suddenly knew that this thing I was afraid I would have to present was going to be super easy to present. And so there you go. So anyway, that's my, that's my Evias Tar story. And I went on to, to, Give this talk. I thought it was pretty successful. I recorded it. Eviatar, what's happened since? Because I don't know what's happened since. One of the great things about open source is you never know if anybody ever uses your stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, what do you what do you say? So, so tell me, what's 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 it been like? What's Vest been like? What was the reaction to that? What do you know? Yeah, actually, speaking of your, uh, I would say, legendary talk uh, last year in NGConf, uh, Utah, I think it was right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it was very impactful to me um, because that specific talk it like introduced uh, introduced uh, Vest to the entire uh, Angular community, and like since then I think my most avid followers are from and Twitter actually or X now Twitter always uh, uh, suggests me more and more uh, Angular content even though I do no Angular at all. Um, right. Like since then, uh, yeah, my my Angular feed exploded. And actually, just yesterday, somebody, um, uh, a, a guy, a guy uh, from uh, Belgium, created a course, and he published it about uh, template-driven form validation in Angular uh, with Vest. So it's all based on your uh, uh, talk from last year. So yeah, I'll I'll share it in the um, show notes. Well, that's cool. That, that you know, that's that's really great. I I I, I felt this affinity for what you were doing, but I had no idea whether it would um, hook anyone else. So it appears to have hooked at least two other people. And that's fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's drawn you, like you say, it's drawn you into another community because you were, you had, as I recall, you had demonstration projects in React and in Vue, if I recall. Um, mm -hmm. But Angular was, um, you know, a mystery to you at the time. Um, so I'm glad we could um, connect those communities. Um, how is it doing in? Uh, oh yeah, definitely. How's it doing in the rest of the in those other frameworks? Are you? Is it still? Are you? You still? I mean, look, this is not for everybody. Not everybody has this problem. Um, but are you still finding, um, uh, this, you know, liveliness there? Yeah, it does gain some traction, although a little bit slowly. But it's fine. I'm enjoying the project, uh, like the development of the project, and like 
having it been so slow, it's it's good for me because I don't get like I'm not being showered with uh, pull requests and issues that I need to respond to. Even though I'm not afraid of open source and not afraid of GitHub issues, um, uh, it's still I still have uh, a job to do. Um, but uh, apart from that. Uh, like when we talked last year, I was in the middle of building Vast version 5 um, and I was like, okay, I'm taking this slowly, I'm redesigning the architecture and everything, but keeping the API mostly the same because it was pretty solid back then. And like after 11 months of refactoring and redesigning and recreation of the framework, like I built it from scratch and I'm very, very proud of uh, the result. So I could say that. Hey, Ward, you know, I was building an application the other day and I pulled in this really cool UI component, but it brought along a lot of dependencies with it. How do you deal with that? I don't like that, John. Um, it reminds me uh, that the AG Grid, which is a uh, an advanced uh, data, editable data table that we use in a lot of our enterprise apps because it, it addresses the complex scenarios we encounter. Um, AG Grid doesn't have any dependencies at all. Zero dependencies. Well, tell me, why, why is that good? Like, what is the value of having zero dependencies? Well, it's it's wonderful not having to wonder if while I'm pulling that in, I'm also pulling jQuery in or Lodash or who knows what, uh, in part because that's extra stuff coming over the wire. It's extra files that I don't know what they're all about. Uh, it means when my client security team has to evaluate this, they're evaluating AG Grid and not everything else that might be slipping in under the covers or something that we have to worry about there. You know, it's great to see this day and age, you can have a zero dependency library that does something like complex data grid functionality. So all of you out there, do check out AG Grid at their website at ag-grid.com. If we take a just a step back for a second, for those who might not be familiar with Vest, what's the elevator pitch that you normally give people? Oh yeah, definitely. That's a good idea. Um, it's been a year though. Uh, so uh, Vest is a form validations framework. I would say it's a framework. Vest is a form validations framework that's inspired by the syntax and style of unit testing library. So similar the way you write unit testing suites, uh, in a way that's expressive, like you have a series of tests that test every scenario that you have in your application, you could do the same for your data in your form validations in production. So you have a test for, let's say, the username field, and you say that it uh, must be filled, that it's required. Uh, and then you, uh, you put some assertions inside and say, like, that's what the user would get. So you could have several tests for a username, several tests for a password. And it looks very much like what you would expect in a unit testing library, like Mocha or Jest or Vtest or all the other ones. Uh, so you get this expressiveness and the declarative style of, uh, validation. Um, and it's also very much separate from a feature code. So when you come to update your feature, add new fields, modify stuff in your code, like you don't have to go through the validation because it's in a different place. It's, it's, it's in its own suite. So it's very easy to write, maintain, read, um, and come back later and still understand what's going on. So it's easy to also reason about. Yeah, that was the metaphor that hooked me. And, and it didn't just hook me, it hooked the audience. I mean, there was just like stars in their eyes like there was for, for, for us. Instead of it having this own peculiar language, uh, suddenly there was a way to tackle a difficult known problem in a familiar style. Um, so um, that was brilliant for me. Uh, and for apparently other people got it. And it made my talk so much easier to give because I actually didn't have to explain how you validate anything, uh, <laughs> which, which allowed me to talk about 
um, the bigger picture architecture questions of how data and validation and forms can come together, how you can how you can uh, hook them together and get uh, uh, you know and solve a, a variety of problems each in their own way, um, which is really uh, you know to get anybody to think about that instead of what are the mechanics of validating was just a big step. Um, and it's a big step in real life because nobody should sit around trying to figure out how they're going to validate things. They should just go do it. Anyway, that's me going on. So, so let, let me go. To, so here's the API question. One of the things that uh, an open source a person has to say is, when is this thing done? Right? Like I have a bunch of them and I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm done. Right? At least the, so what do I mean done? I mean, I think the API surface was done. I don't want to add any more. I don't really feel like I need to take anything out. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, everybody can always quarrel and so forth like that. So it sounded like when you're, you're, what you were just saying was, well, the API is pretty much the same, um, but I felt compelled to gut it and redo it. Why? Okay. So two reasons. Um, and that's also, that's the reason why I made a major change and not just an internal factor. So first of all, um, I'm really hyped about the tech. So um, I was really interested in making the data flow and vast, unlike many other libraries, is stateful. So there is a lot of data flow, internal data flow. I remember you had some issues with it as well, Word. Um, so vast is... Um, that is stateful. So there is a lot of data going in, a lot of history management internally. And like in version four, like it all started in version two of Vest or version three, sorry, that I actually added internal state. In version four, I actually added history management and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. But it was slapped on and like it had no actual architecture. So just imagine adding an elevator to an existing building. You just slap a shaft outside and you see all these construction building and everything. Like, like it works, but but you have like many holes in your building and, and a shaft outside. Um, and, it, and it doesn't look great and it doesn't feel great and you're afraid to fall all the time. Um, so this also invest, I was afraid it would introduce future bugs and I didn't like working with it because it always felt like I was hacking around the original non-architecture that I had. And when working on version five, I thought, well, maybe it's the time to actually have an intentional architecture around this data flow. And instead of having a sh an elevator shaft outside, I decided to rebuild the building around the elevator shaft. And that's like the, uh, intentional design that I created for the internals of VEST. And while doing it, I said, well, there are some defaults that I think should be switched. Like I could make the library a little bit more performant for users if they don't have to run all the tests that we know should fail already. Like if we have three tests for username, the first one failed, we don't need to run the second and third one for username. So I switched the defaults for that. And that's why I created it as a major change. So like writing your suite would be pretty much the same. Uh, and if you change nothing, it would still pretty much work the same for you. But it is a major change because it changes the default and the expected behavior in some weird cases where you actually depend on these all failing together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there are times when I just want the first error and there are times when I want to know all the things that are wrong with, mm -hmm. with a name. You know, it's, it's too short and it's too, and it uses characters that it shouldn't have. And, you know, I don't want to just know the one or the other. I want to know all the things so I can fix them. Unlike the experience I had recently, um, where, uh, what was it? Um, 
oh, it was something where I had to put in a, yes, it was easy pay for some service. And I had a dash in the middle of my account number and it said, come back later. There, you know, we, we seem to be unable to process. We're down at the moment. Oh Why don't you come back later? I could have come back a century later <laughs> and not known it. <laughs> it was just a pure accident that I was just take the dash out. And I, I, I thought, wow, wow, maybe it's that. I don't know. I, but I, and the thing is, I know de- the only reason I tried it because I know developers and their developers are freaking lazy. Uh, and they would just uh, they would do that. Um, uh, you know, cause they didn't want to have to deal with air handling. So we're just going to say, you know, go away for any little thing. And then that's the kind of thing that they were like, so it was an accident that I figured out that it was a dash in an account number. They weren't supposed to be any special punctuation. Long story, long story short, you need validation. I don't know where I'm going. Craig, stop. <laughs> all, all, all right. So yeah, please just do. stop it, Ward. Stop it, Ward. Okay. <laughs> So, so you had a, a new feature set, not new, but something that you wanted to be more uh, clear to people and more available to people, uh, which is the data aspect of it. And that wasn't being surfaced or in some way that you thought would be useful. And so you built it around that. Okay. Um, and that seems like a dimension of the validation problem that, that would be worthy are you done now? Uh, no, no, I'm never done. And that's one of your questions about API. When are you done? Um, and what I try to do is do not add features that are not needed, needed yet. And when some requests surface from the community or from people using it, or when I see some new features added to like meta frameworks, um, I try to see if these are actually needed uh, to be added into Vest. So just an example, recently, um, I think it was only John, but you had an episode um, 256 with uh, the guys behind Remalt, the web framework, um, Noam and Yoni. And like I met them recently, I'm good friends, and, and I had a talk with them about whether it's possible to integrate Vest into their backend framework. And it was possible, but they had like, well, what do you do if you want to get some validation during submit and stuff like that? Like you want to return some portions of your validation from the database and not from the vast suite. What do you do then? Like, how do you integrate that? So little by little, I try to figure out what I need, but I do not add stuff preemptively because if I add stuff preemptively, I may get it wrong and then removing it is impossible. So when it comes to an effort to want to refactor a large portion of of your code base, and of course, you know, right now we're talking about API design, realizing that if you go and you change the surface area of your API, it's going to break for a lot of people. How much did that constraint inform the changes you wanted to make? So I guess another way of asking this question is, if you didn't have to worry about not changing the API, would you have done something different or did everything kind of just line up how you needed it to? What I try to do is change as little as possible. And the way I do it is by clearly defining uh, the API I'm writing to begin with. So what I do need to have is like, very clear understanding of the problem. If I don't feel like I have full grasp of what it is that I'm solving, I'll try not to add it yet. And here's just one example. Like one very simple and very crucial thing of form validation is like the simple question, is valid? Um, and is valid, apparently it's not very simple. It, like, it sounds like it's simple. <laughs> like, uh, does it have errors? Well, an empty, forms do- an empty form doesn't have errors, but it's not valid yet. 
Um, that's an example. Um, so how do you define what is valid? How do you treat uh, optional fields with validity? Um, very, uh, very stuff like that. So before I have full grasp of what it is that I'm trying to solve and what is, and before I have like modeled a solution of what it should look like, I'm not adding it. And it took me like three or four years into development of VAST to actually introduce this simple flag is valid um, to a validation framework, just so you understand what I'm talking about. And so I tried to minimize um, features introduced into the framework so I don't have to remove stuff uh, when I figure out they were wrong. So I, I think that is a fascinating answer. And, and I think that the next question I want to ask you, like if you could maybe... Keep in mind people who are in different stages of their career, right? So you're like, I'm not going to make this change until I have a crystal clear understanding of the problem at bay. How do you know when you've understood it well enough before you go ahead and take action on it? How do you know what you don't know? Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> that that's, that's the easy answer. But um, honestly... I try to iterate and iterate a lot. Like um, one of the uh, hardest thing is, things is to actually do this by yourself. So every time I make a change, I try to test it, test it against like different features, like stuff that I build, stuff that other people build. I try to create an RFC, um, which mostly people don't answer because Vest is not React. It's not like hugely popular, but <laughs> right. sometimes one or two people will say, well, this didn't work for me or it, it didn't cover this use case. And I try to follow up even the competition, like see what others do, how other libraries work. Um, and then when I see like what the community has to say and what the competition has to say and what my intuition says, um, I try to merge it all together into a solution that seems to work. And even then I wait a bit before releasing it. And that's why I take like a year or two be between two major changes. And I let uh, changes sit in an integration uh, branch for a while before releasing them into, into production. I think what's so incredible about that, sorry, word, I'll let you take it after this, but I just wanted to comment that that shows an incredible amount of patience and and temperance on your part. To, we we love to create things. We love to write code. We like to get it out there, get feedback, get people using it. But you know, you're just being very measured about how you approach this process. And I think everyone who uses Vest is is better off for it. Thank you. Hey, are you building apps in React, Angular, Node, or some other framework? Well, with NX, you can build your full stack apps in a shared mono repo, integrate with modern tools, and reinforce best practices. You'll get advanced code generation and automatically configured tooling like Cypress, Jest, and Prettier that will simplify your workflow. NX also helps you simplify the relationships between applications and shared libraries to make it easier to share more code and develop more consistently across teams. And the best part is you'll build higher quality apps and spend less time on configuration. So visit nx.dev to get Narwhal's popular open source toolkit for monorepo development today. I want to talk about um, the API surface and what, what, whether to break it or not. Um, and to get the party started, I'm going to refer to a very popular library that seems uh, unperturbed by, <laughs> by uh, API change, and that's the uh, RxJS, the reactive framework for, for JavaScript, um, where 
really fundamentally use things. It's not at the edges where they've made changes. Um, uh, they went from one syntax for uh, 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 connecting operators to a completely different one involving a new keyword and moving everything is like <laughs> you just broke everything. Uh, and then they've shuffled, you know, they, they say, well, you know what? Nobody should use that. Uh, those set of arguments anymore. They're gone or nobody should use that keyword anymore. It's gone. Or no, we don't want to have two libraries where you one for operators and one for these creators and things. Let's just put it all in one. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have their justifications uh, and, but you know, it's very different attitude. It's like, Hey, stick with me or stay where you are in that old version. So what's your, you know, then there are others who say, I can't break it. I can't break it. Even if the API, obviously it it was great in the beginning, but you realize it was entirely wrong. So what do you, what's your, where are you on that spectrum? Uh, First of all, um, my condolences. I feel your pain. Um, sorry about that. Um, for, <laughs> yeah, no, I felt it. I felt it. It was heartfelt. Uh, no, more seriously, like I'm not at the position uh, where RxJS uh, are. Like they're able to do stuff that I'm not able because, um, well, they have much more traction. They have many more users dependent on them, and like they can decide to do whatever they want uh, and and break use uh, use cases and sometimes i just have to say uh breaking stuff is justified like sometimes it does make sense to break stuff if you know like you've done stuff um terribly wrong in the pre- in the past like if you were very if your previous design was very non performant or would ver- would very likely cause crashes or prevent people from achieving their goals um, in a good manner, but I would try to avoid that at the design stage and not, um, and not later, but sometimes it's inevitable because, uh, as we told, as we said before, you do not know what you do not know and what's in the future. Well, we do not know. Well, you have to, you have to validate ideas and they have to be battle tested. And, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what, what Ward said at, at, at the beginning of the show is like, you don't know who's using your framework. You, you have a, you have you have an API surface, you know, you build the way that it's intended to be used, but it's not always like that in, in reality. So um, it becomes maybe not an inevitability to make a breaking change, but just to realize that the stuff that... You, it, it's not old cliche. You know, you look at code that, that we wrote six months ago, and if you're not appalled by it, then you're doing something wrong, right? So... Yeah, I, I think in RxJS's case, and this is kind of an interesting principle, they, were, they, they felt an existential threat. If they didn't make certain changes to their API, then uh, it would retain its purity, but it would sink beneath the waves because it didn't satisfy some essential criteria for continuing to live in the framework. Yes, loved your purity. Goodbye. You know, something else comes along. (laughs) And and they said, no, we want to keep playing. And in order to keep playing, we have to solve this problem. And we don't know any way to solve this problem without changing the API. Now, I think that that that's a really good motivator. There are other things that they did, you know, where you say, really? Like, what would have happened if you didn't, you know, if you just kept that mistake forever? How horrible is it? And I, I found some of those choices less convincing. I would go for the existential threat thing, though. If there's an existential threat to the to the framework or, the you know, the API, you got to 
you got to change it. Maybe, and you, you know, then you have to say, well, is it, do I call it something else? Like Angular, let's call it Angular 2. <laughs> they felt an existential threat. They, you know, but they wanted to keep the brand, you know, so I don't know. There's lots of ways to solve it. Anyway, it doesn't sound to me like um, Vest faced it, has faced an existential threat. Maybe it has. That would require it to to jack the API. You you have, have anything out there that feels existential? I try to work without any assumptions about my consumers um, and working in this void, not knowing anything about what apps they have, uh, like uh, except from the fact that they run JavaScript. Um, but what apps they have, like what industry, what information they would need, what business needs they have, it makes my API very very. Um, agnostic to any type of application. And then I try to focus on like, I wouldn't say purity, but on the, basically just on the API design and user experience and like the familiarity with what they already know. Like I try to, every time I make a change, I try to think how far is this from what we know um, from like unit testing libraries. I try to stay as similar as possible. And then when I do, like I stay up to date with, what people already know. So it's really easy for me to not break uh, stuff under people's feet. So when we're talking about the, the broader concept of open source and whether or not people should be contributing to it or maybe start their own projects or kind of dipping their toe into that water, I know that you have some, some insights. I mean, if we take a look at... Let me bring up the, the GitHub page again. You know, Vest has over 84 forks and over 2000 stars which is not astronomical but at the same time that i mean that's a very successful open source project mm-hmm. so in terms of of how people are are thinking about approaching open source whether it's coming from the origination aspect or the contribution aspect what what would you share with them yeah first of all um vest is not even my uh, most popular project it it is one with the most <laughs> Uh, stars and forks, but I think Emoji Picker React is is like it's tremendously uh, more popular with and, and organically. Like I did not do any um, I did not do any PR for it, and it has like two hundred thousand downloads a week, which is crazy. Wow! I think. <laughs> yes. Wait a minute, what what is this one? Emoji this Picker one? React. It's like uh, the second <laughs> mo- most popular emoji picker on the web. Um, like not just for React, like on the web. Um, so, so it's nice. It's nice. Um, so, and and I think I, I think the main reason I do open source is like there are two. I think it makes me be a better software engineer. It makes me write better software, and that's because of two things. I think um, the first one is well, because my stuff is open source and on display. I have to work harder to make my code prettier and make my co- uh, code more robust and make it like look better and and be better and like adopt better standards and write unit tests and like have stuff not break and and feature a future proof it and everything so i have to write better code when i uh, do open source and apart from that it gives me the opportunity to experience uh other stacks uh that or other types of problems or deal with other types of problems that i do not work with um, at work. So I get to be better at what I do and better, a better software engineer just by doing open source. Um, that's for me. I mean, that's why I do open source and that's why I've been doing open source for almost the past 10 years because I do think it's like, it's making me a better software engineer. 
But I think there's also plenty of reasons for other people to be uh, to be doing open source. And that's like depending on their stage in the career. But I see you want to say something, Ward? No, I was going to say I hadn't thought about that. I've, I don't know that I've ever heard that. But I, but I think it's a really a compelling thing. A lot of people wonder, you know, you can have a lot of years in this, but it's like every year is doing the same thing. So I've got 20 years of experience. Yeah, you can. You know, it's 20, 20 years in a row of doing exactly the same thing. Good luck with that. Um, uh, whereas open source, the, you know, it requires you to engage as a craftsperson uh, and to discover um, new things and to, to cope with, um, uh, re, you know, authentic criticism and to not be driven by time oh, I can just get this. I have to get this out. So I just did what was necessary. It works. So, you know, that that is not the driver anymore. Now you actually think about yourself as a, as a growing professional. Um, and I, I had not ever heard that expressed, but I think that's a great reason to do open source. Great reason. When it comes to maintaining and running successful projects, you know, you mentioned you're not afraid of pull requests. You're not afraid of issues. And I know the, the storyline is, is broad for different, different projects. But sometimes people find themselves in a position with open source that they're trying to serve either the needs of such a diverse set of people that no one can be pleased um, or there's just a lot of drama surrounding that. And I'm curious, like, what are your strategies for dealing with those realities? Um, okay, so I, I've I've had like very good experience on open source. Um, never heard like never had I, like I've heard the stories of like people demanding and people being super rude on open source, and but I've never experienced it, and I don't know why um, I'm, I was so lucky. Um, and if there's ever drama about uh, an emoji picker, then we're, I, I'm going to leave this world. Like, I, I'm not expecting any drama around an, uh, an emoji picker. Um, so maybe that's we'll your keep reason. our fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are bigger problems. But yeah, I've, I've had like a great experience and, and mostly, mostly good community involvement. You know, that reminds me of something. I, last week, I, I mentioned this Adam Grant book. One of the things that he, um, you know, uh, about potential, realizing potential. And one of the things that piece of, uh, one of the things he said was, uh, I don't want, I don't ask for feedback, ask for advice. When you ask for feedback, you get critics who make you feel terrible and you get cheerleaders who really aren't doing much for you. But when you ask for advice and you say, okay, what's the one thing I should be doing differently now? Now you get an investment. And so I was thinking about that with respect to how one can respond to open source. You know, you loved it. Great. You hated it. And you think I'm an idiot. Fine. But what should I do? That's really valuable. Um, that doesn't mean you have to take it, but it gives you something to work with. I love that. And I think that's something that anybody who is either making open source might want to be looking for. Give me advice. And anybody who wants to engage in open source should say, I'm, let me give you a piece of advice you can take or leave. That, that, that works for me. I like that a lot. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and and I also think there's like a lot to gain from doing open source. Like at any stage of a career, I was gonna be, I was about to say that earlier. And and I think it starts like at a junior stage. Like and as a junior, you got this dilemma that like um, you can't get any experience because you don't have a job, but you can't get a job because you don't have any experience. And like open source is the solution for you, I think, because like you get to actually work on stuff, even little stuff, but you have to, you get to have, uh, you get to get some experience. Like you join a community, you do pull requests that give you feedback or advice. Uh, um, uh, you learn what people do. Like you don't, le- you don't just um, graduate university. You actually learn how people work, the standards, the customs. Uh, um, you improve your coding debugging skills, like real life debugging coding skills, and like you get concrete work experience that you can uh, later show off. And like in my, uh, I'm like in the email I received from Facebook like four years ago, a little more than four years ago, uh, they explicitly said like they they uh, targeted me because of my GitHub profile and because of the open source work I do. So I'm, I'm not making this up. This is real stuff that people can actually get jobs uh, by contributing to open source. Well, and I, I've talked about this uh, story before on the show. So I mean, if anybody's ever heard it, just tune out for a second. But before I became a software developer, I remember looking at a JavaScript for loop and being terrified because I knew there was no way I would ever really be able to understand what was going on because I didn't, I didn't go to school for any of this stuff. I didn't have a teacher. Um, and that was just having to view source on websites and, you know, really early days, right? With GitHub, you go to an open source project, not only is all the code there, like if I asked Ward, you know, pick your top client and let me look at the code base, he'd be like, I can't because... Proprietary and lots of reasons. That's right? what I would tell you, Craig. The real reason is <laughs> it's just such a pile of crap. I can't. I was. <laughs> <laughs> but no, with open right, source and right. anything on GitHub, the code is there, the diff is there, and you can trace through the history on an individual file and see how it's changed. And hopefully, there might even be a discussion about why it happened. And it's this incredible opportunity for us to be able to go through. And have a learning experience throughout uh, code that, you know, without these tools, you'd never have the option or the availability. So as a young developer, as someone new to uh, this arena, it's, it's a huge uh, asset to be able to have these tools available. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, like... Trying like I, I try to I just imagine uh, people looking at the evolution of the of my GitHub comp- contributions over time, like on the vest or emoji <laughs> react stuff, and it's like it's, like you're laughing, but um I recently I not just refactored vest, I refactored emoji picker react just right before I refactored vest, and it was like I rewrote the thing from scratch because uh, it was garbage. Um, it was still popular, but it was garbage, um, and. Like just, I'm I'm just imagining the learning experience a user would get, uh, uh, or a, a new developer would get from reading this. This is amazing. Um, so yeah, priceless. That's awesome. I guess there's a role there also. Um, a junior can so say like, how can I contribute when I don't know a for loop? Um, uh, which I, I'm exaggerating. You probably should know that before you contribute code. But <laughs> but you can be a code reviewer. Um, you know, PR is sitting out there and hasn't yet been accepted. If you know how to be, go enter that with humility 
and sort of say, I think I see what you're doing in this change, but I'm not entirely sure what, why did you, why did you do this? Um, why is it a good idea? Um, you know, I have been on the other side of that looking for, um, a code, you know, I love code. I'd love to have a code review. I can't always get one that's serious. Uh, LGTM is not my idea of a, a, a serious <laughs> code review. Um, so, but that's an entry point. Um, uh, and if you approach it, if you're a junior and approaching it with, with humility, uh, and not trying to tell Eviatar that what that change he just made was stupid, but rather, wow, I'd like to learn from this code, this change that you're making here. It surprises me in some reason. Here's why I'm surprised. Why did you do it? Hey, I think that's a way to get the real learning experience you're talking about. So another, uh, you know, another scoring, another point for open source. Uh, I, I just wanted to say a word, like I completely agree. There's like, um, you start small and there are no small contributions. Like I remember one of my, like my entry point to, uh, to um, contributions uh, on open source was like, I, I changed a typo. Uh, I fixed a typo in the Webpack, uh, in an edge case error on Webpack. Like it said contains instead of contains. And that was one of my first contributions to open source. And it was like accepted and that's it. It was like, yeah, thank you. That's it. That was my first contribution. And like, I think we always want to have like something big and a feature and like adding code, but even documentation or replying to issues, that's also a contribution and an important one as well. So there's nothing small in open source and everything can be like your entry point. Matter of fact, only small. Don't do, don't come in there with a, I have this grand fee. I'm going to let you in Craig any second, but, but <laughs> one of the things that as an open source developer you cannot tolerate is somebody who says, I got this great idea for a feature. And not only that, here it is. Uh, and uh, please accept it. Like, no. You can, you can, but ask first. Just ask first. Let me know what you want to do. And yeah, we can talk this over. Go write your own freaking framework is what I tell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to start... Not start off. We like to end the show with some final thoughts. And I feel like we kind of hit on uh, a bunch of different ones. But uh, in light of everything that we've talked about, Ward, what, what would be a final thought you would leave people Jeez. with? Jeez. I, I got lost in the conversation. I completely, um, I'm dry on that. I mean, actually, really what I wanted to know is what Eviatar is doing next. Not That's not best. What's the, what's the, although we didn't really get into all of the, I thought, Hey, what, API problems, like how do we do API design? And I was saying, I don't really have any, but I guess I w- launched a couple of ideas. I have a great metaphor and um, stuff, but I, I still don't have um, a great list of guidelines for API design or watchwords or principles. So, I'd still like to know. I think this warrants a follow-up. Yeah, I think I think it does. If there are, in fact, such things. Um, I'll bet there are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, well, we're going to have to make sure that we get it on the books for, for next time to, to dive even go. deeper into API. There you go. Yeah, and first time, swag drop. Yeah, I'm still waiting That's for it. That's right. <laughs> well, the... The thing that I wanted to, to mention was I, I just want to talk directly to people who are really early on in their career just for a second and, and just to say that um, there's there's something special about being in this developer community. Yes, there's gatekeepers. Yes, there's people who you know do whatever. But for the most part, you're surrounded by 
a ridiculous amount of people who want to see you learn, they want to see you win, and they want to see you uh, help out and succeed in your contributions. So if it is just fixing a typo, if it is doing 100 days of code and blogging about it, doing whatever, like please feel free to take those steps and do it because like there's just an incredible amount of encouragement and um, and people around you who want to help out. So Avitar, what, what would be your, your final word on, on today's subject? Yeah, so I think... Just don't be afraid to just ship stuff um, as small as it may be. Like I have GitHub repos that have just one line of code um, that are out there <laughs> because I needed something and thought other would use it as well. And like you at the beginning, I thought like people would come at me and like laugh at my code and, and I don't know, comment on stuff. And, and it was like for the first few months or actually the first few years, it was like crickets. I heard nothing. Nobody even cared about uh, uh, what I did online. So you shouldn't be afraid of getting criticism. And actually, uh, criticism can be good, but you shouldn't be afraid of it. Just ship stuff, uh, and this will help you grow, and this will make you a better software engineer. Awesome. Well, we want to thank you for listening to the show. Obviously, we want to thank our sponsors, IdeaBlade, Narwhal, and AG Grid. And we hope to be able to be a part of your day next week here on WebRush. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we'll keep the lights on for you. That's right. (laughs) 